0: Uh, it's, mostly, it's good to be together, even though it's virtually. It's great to be together just through to a couple of weeks into the new year. I think it's good to just get back into the rhythm of life. And um, we often talk very negatively about routines, and I wouldn't see Sunday morning as routine. I so see it's part of the a rhythm of a healthy life. It's the rhythm of being together, singing songs of praise to Jesus, reading the Word together, uh, breaking bread together these are part of of a healthy rhythm of life, which we need to uh, help people spiritually healthy and strong. So uh, it's God's grace to us that we're today. Lord, I pray that we would uh, continue to experience your grace this morning in our time together. Thank you that you uh, call us to know you, to be in a relationship with you, and I pray each one of us this morning might be encouraged in you, Lord, even uh, though the room's a bit colder than we'd like, that we come to the living God, whose attitude towards us is is warm as we come to our Heavenly Father, knowing that warmth and uh, that goodness. Amen. Amen. I might have to switch mics again in a minute, don't crackles as it did last week. Right, we are uh, doing this 5 part series on the switch. This is going to crackle us And the new PA system should be in an unstop. And all, all these problems will be fixed. Right, we are, we're doing a, a five-week series to get the, the year started, which is recording Foundations, and um, we're looking at five themes, which actually you'll find also in this little booklet about Advance, which is available at the front or the back of the building, depending on which way you're looking at it. Advance is the movement of churches that we're part of, and uh, we're using the five uh, advances, Advance values as a framework to help us. And... There are three aims in this series. The first thing is that for those of you who are perhaps new to church and wouldn't necessarily claim to have any particular relationship with Jesus, we're hoping that this series will help clarify for you some more about what we believe and just get a better idea of, of, of what we understand it means to be a Christian, and follower Jesus. Uh, we're also hoping to help those who are new to town this time of year, there's always people who... who Moving in or, or moving around and looking for a new church, and hopefully, this will be a helpful series of people like that to try and work out whether Gateway is the church where you should be or whether you should be somewhere else. And uh, of course, also really thinking about those of us who are part of this church committed here to help us to get refocused for what we're doing together over this year here at Gateway. And uh, this morning's theme is being mission focused that the church is meant to function as a mission movement. Uh, the reason that we're here is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last Sunday we looked at the theme of, of being gospel centred. If you weren't here, that's about on the website. And uh, that's really what we're about. We're here to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And uh, that sounds very simple, and it is very simple, but also can be quite challenging. Uh, Terry Virgo, who's a friend of mine and uh, uh, led uh, the Lutheran Church of the New Frontiers, which Vance has, has, has developed from, in one of his books, he says this: If the church is perceived as simply a gathering of people who attend religious services, little leadership is required. Leading the meetings and preaching sermons are all that must be mastered. If, however, the church is seen in a different light, namely as the focal point of God's purposes for world evangelization and the key center of discipleship, training, and visioning. And releasing ministry and leadership takes on a totally new meaning. If the church is more than just getting together on a Sunday, if it's actually about mission, if it's about discipleship, if it's about envisioning, then there's a lot more to it and there's a lot more involved in leadership. And uh, personally, I find that a great challenge as uh, someone who's involved in helping to lead this church, to, to, to keep that front and centre that uh, the role of the leaders here isn't just to... Organize a reasonably well organized Sunday morning meeting or midweek meetings. Actually, what we're here to do is to help us as a body, as a community, to be on a mission together. And uh, that's quite a challenge for me at times, it can be a challenge for all of us. It's very easy for us to slip into a mindset where we think that being a Christian, being part of the church, is simply about gathering together for a religious service once a week. And um, it might mean that some of us actually need a bit of a mind shift. and. Uh, even those of us who kind of know this might need a bit of a mental shift as we start the year again, thinking about the purpose of the church, what it is that we're here for. That we're not just here for Sunday morning meetings, midweek meetings, but we're here as the people of God called to proclaim Jesus in all that we do. To be constantly thinking, how can I help other people see how good Jesus is? Now, a great example for us of how to think this way is the example of the Apostle Paul when he visited Athens. And we're going to read that story. It's kind of a classic place to turn and thinking about these things. It's in Acts chapter 17. I think the text should appear on the screen as well. Let me me read it to you. While Paul was waiting for Silas and Timothy, his friends, at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in a synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this bantler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, But others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Maris, and others with them. Right, this incident took place on the Areopagus, or Mars Hill as it's always known. There should be a picture of uh, me on the Areopagus. This was me last year when it was nice and sunny and hot in Athens with uh, my friends Joel Verger and Dave Devonish, next uh, to a particularly attractive rubbish bin. I don't think that was there when the call But this, where we're standing is, is where the Areopagus is uh, debating hall of the Athenians was, and behind that is the uh, Acropolis, which you see on every picture of, of, of Athens, and it was uh, it was amazing to plant this little hill, which is Mars Hill, which overlooks the bigger hill of the Acropolis, and to stand there and to and to think about this moment in the Book of Acts when the Apostle Paul had this moment when he stood in the Areopagus with all the Athenian philosophers and debaters and discussers and made this proclamation about Jesus Christ and uh, who. The God that they didn't really know who the true God is. It was fantastic to stand there and, and think about what happened in Acts 17. And uh, standing there and thinking about that, thinking about what uh, Paul's example teaches us here, we can see a number of things which uh, Paul did and uh, demonstrated, which can help us as we think about what it means to be mission focused. The first thing is that Paul demonstrated both love and distress. Paul loved the people of Athens enough to go to them and to tell them the news about Jesus. He cared enough about them to want to go and share with them this story about Jesus and all that he has done. And really for us, as we think about being mission-focused, that's where it needs to begin for us. It's this question, do we love people? Do we love people? That needs to be the characteristic of followers of Jesus. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. God is a God of love. Jesus loves people. And if we're to be followers of Jesus, we need to love people as well. And the Apostle Paul loved people. And so he went to Athens because he loved Jesus and he loved people. And he wanted people who Jesus loved to know Jesus and love him as well. And if we're going to be mission focused, we need to feel a warmth towards people, an affection towards people, a love for people. But Paul was also distressed by what he saw in Athens uh, verse 16 says he was provoked or he was distressed as he saw that the city was full of idols there were things about Athens which upset him and Paul was upset because the people of Athens were giving themselves to worship things which couldn't help them. they were putting their trust and their confidence in all kinds of things which couldn't save them, couldn't rescue them and so Paul felt this kind of tension, this mix of, of love for the Athenians and also distress at the way in which they were living. And we should feel something about tension as well. We, we feel the tension of this of this kind of unconditional love. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And we also kind of have along that the instructions in John's first letter in 1 John 2.15 where we instructed, do not love the world. So we're told both that God so loved the world and we're told to not love the world. And there's a kind of tension there. There's a tension of Complete unconditional love for people, but at the same time not getting caught up in worldly power structures and worldly way of doing things. Not, 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 not acting just as everybody else does in the world, but behaving as the people of God. That we, The danger is always for us as, as, as Christians is that we can be loving towards other people and just end up being no different from everybody else, just becoming Athenians. Or the other danger is that we feel provoked at the things we see in the world, which are ungodly, and we become kind of hostile to the world, and we withdraw and and live separately and don't engage with the world. And both those things are mistaken, and neither of them are the things that the Apostle Paul did. He felt distress about the Athenians' idolatry, but he also felt great love towards them. And we need to act in a similar way. put this another way is that Paul knew what it was to be in the world, but not of the world. He clearly had his head in the culture. He knew what was going on, but he, he managed to keep his heart pure, even while he was in Athens. He, his, his heart was disengaged from worldly things, but engaged with ordinary people. And that can be a difficult balance for us to maintain as well, as who are Christians. There's all, all this stuff of life. It's very hard for us to... To not let our hearts get engaged in a way that they shouldn't. Uh, Think about things like entertainment. It's very easy for us just to get swept up in normal, worldly entertainment and to lose all kind of godly discernment about things that we do and watch and engage in. And uh, the Apostle Paul didn't do that. He was kind of aware of what was happening in the culture around him, but he didn't allow his heart to be captivated by them. Or, or think about what happens in politics. It's very easy for us just to get swept along in kind of what is happening politically and some of the panic there is. And, and, and those of us who know Jesus as Lord, there should be more of a detachment actually about us. That we don't have the same anxieties because we know that he is king, we know that he's sovereign, we know that things are going to work out okay. The fact that Donald Trump is being inaugurated on Friday, and all the anxieties we might feel about that we don't have to, we can be very aware of it without having to have kind of the same anxieties that others might. That we're in the world, but not of the world. And so we see that Paul was able to both connect with the Athenians and to challenge them in their beliefs. And uh, you can't really uh, do one without the other if you're going to be effective. Um, so when Paul turns up and he goes into Mars here, he goes into the Areopagus, and he, 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 uh, he behaves according to the appropriate protocols. It's really interesting as we read this passage in, in Acts 17, that, that Paul doesn't go in there kind of all guns blazing. He doesn't go in rudely. He actually goes in with a great deal of respect. He respects what they're doing there, respects the people who are there, respects how they do it. He shows a great deal of, of respect for them. He seeks to connect with them. And he's aware of their spirituality, he's aware of their culture, he knows about their philosophy, he knows about their poetry, and he's, in that sense, able to commend what can be commended. And uh, those of us who are Christians, we need to to practice doing that. We need to commend what is commendable in our community. And there are many things in our town which are just fantastic and which we are to commend when we see... uh, businesses doing well and behaving in an honourable way with integrity and generating jobs in our community. That kind of thing is to be commended. Uh, there are things to celebrate. I'm really grateful for some of the things that happen in our town. I'm really grateful for the RNLI being based here. That's fantastic. And RNLI doing a fantastic job. We want to commend that kind of thing. There are all kinds of things which happen culturally which are, are great. It's right to applaud where the cherries are doing well. It's commendable. It's good for our town. It's 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 right to applaud good things that happen in our town, to commend what is commendable. When schools teach pupils well, that's commendable. There's all kinds of things that are happening in Paul and Bournemouth which are, are great, and it's just good to be here. And we, like Paul, need to look to commend and encourage and bless and cheer on those who are doing well, because we are all blessed when that happens. Commend what is commendable. But Paul also was unafraid to challenge the Athenians where they needed challenging and towards the end of his, uh, his little talk here he gets a bit challenging, he talks about God having overlooked the times of ignorance and really what he's saying to the Athenians, he's standing in this place and remember this is, this is kind of, a, it's a bit, we don't really have the same kind of setting in our culture but it's kind of a bit like a, a university philosophy department that he's gone into. And he's telling these people who are highly educated and would have had pretty high opinions of their intellect and their knowledge, he's saying, you've been living in ignorance, and now I'm telling you how you can come to the truth. And that's a pretty challenging thing to say in that kind of context, for this Jewish man to come into the center of Greek culture and to stand up and say to them, you've been ignorant, but now I'm bringing you the truth. That's a challenging thing to say, And Paul was unafraid to say it. He commended them, but he also challenged them. And uh, if we're to be a mission-focused people, we need to know how to both connect and to challenge, to be able to do both. Uh, Some of us are better at connecting, some are better at challenging. We need to be able to do both, because one or the the other is hopeless. If all you do is connect, or we're just another nice charity in the town. If all that we do is challenge, Or we just become aggressive and unpleasant and irrelevant. We need to know how to connect and challenge people. See that Paul contended for the gospel, but he also contextualised for the setting he was in. Now, the, the, the gospel isn't up for grabs in Jude, in the book of Jude in the Bible. It says, "Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints." We we have to contend for the truth. People challenge the truth that the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ and him crucified, is the truth. But people will uh, challenge that. We need to contend for it, fight for it. But we also need to contextualize. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Paul was prepared to adjust how he lived in order to make himself more amenable to other people. Help them to see the truth of the gospel. He was prepared to submit his own preferences in order to connect with other people more effectively. And that doesn't mean that he was a, a chameleon, that he was kind of false, just adjusting to fit in. But like, he, he was more like a kind of an adventurer, like some of the guys you see on TV who travel the world and go to distant tribes and adapt, contextualise to the tribe live the way they do, eat the food they eat, wear the clothes that they wear. That, that's more how Paul was. It wasn't that really he was a comedian kind of lying and pretending, but no, he, he was an adventurer who was prepared to adapt his preferences to the preferences of other people in order that he might be able to show them who Jesus was. And for us, there are times when we need to adapt the things that we do and the choices that we would make and the way that we would live in order to connect with other people, how that kind of adventurer's heart affects how we how we do life together, how we do ministry, it affects things about how we do Sunday mornings at times, that we want to do things in a way which makes, reduces the barriers for people to see who Jesus is, makes it easier for people to come in, easier people, for people to connect. You see that Paul was also absolutely brilliant at studying the Bible and studying the culture. Um, we get this picture that Paul carefully kind of observe what was happening in Athens. It says that he was walking around and he observed what was going on. He observed the idols. And uh, as Christians we need to be those who are, uh, who are a bit sharp that we think about what is happening. But again, it's very easy for us just to kind of meander through life, getting swept along the general tide that's passing through. And we, we need to learn to Analyze things a little bit more, and then apply what the Bible says to what we see happening around us. I mean, a, a great example, one which is very parallel to what Paul sees here in Athens, is is this question of what, what is the idol. So Athens is full of idols, including this idol to the unknown god. And that distressed Paul. Well, what are the idols in our in our culture? What are the what are the modern equivalents to what was going on in Athens? And, and for us, one obvious example would be the shopping mall. The shopping mall functions as a kind of a modern temple. It's a place where people go for kind of worship and for uh, a sense of worth, for receiving something as a, a financial exchange. I pay this in order to get something back which hopefully will make me feel better. The modern shopping mall functions very much like the Athenian temple did. And we need to think about those kind of things to think about, as Paul, Paul did, well, how can I apply the truth of the Bible to what is happening in the world's around them and around us, and it says, it says that Paul reasons with the Athenians, he reasons with them in the synagogue and in the marketplace and in the Areopagus, and it might be that we think, well I'm not very good at that, I'm not very good at reasoning with people, when they've got difficult questions about life and faith, I'm not really very good at explaining to them what I believe and why I believe it and what the Bible says. Uh, one practical thing you could do to help you, if that's you, is to sign up for the Essentials training course we've got starting at the beginning of February. Nine Saturday mornings over the course of the year, uh, we'll be thinking about the Bible and we'll be thinking about issues of culture. And uh, if you could do us some help in thinking about how you understand the Bible and how you apply it to what's happening in the world, this would, this would be really worthwhile doing. So I'd encourage you to grab one of these uh, at the back, get one of those and sign up. We'd love to have you there. Now the, the questions that people ask are different in different places. The, the questions the Athenians ask are probably different from some of the questions that people ask today. For, for us, in our, in our culture, the, the three big questions that people always want to ask about when it comes to faith is three S's. It's suffering and science and it's sex. Why is there suffering in the world? Why is my friend sick? Why did that happen? Why does this bad thing happen? Suffering is a big question. Science is a big question. Doesn't evolution disprove the existence of God? Do we need God at all because of what we understand about science? Is faith compatible with science? And then sex. What about sex? What about homosexuality? What about my personal freedoms? Although those are the three questions that people are top of the list in the Western culture. Suffering in science and sex. And, and it's, we need to have some answers. We need to be able to both look at the world around us and say, well, can you see what's happening in the world? And we need to be able to look at the Bible. And so this is what the Bible says. We need to be able to join those two things together. And uh, something like the Essentials training course can help us. It's all kinds of resources and materials that we have that can help us. We need to seek God and ask his help. That we can be sharp like Paul was. And able to give answers to the questions that people have. See that Paul was uh, clued up on, his, on the culture of the Athenians. He wasn't, he wasn't an Athenian. He wasn't Greek but he was clued up in their culture. He was able to quote their poets and their philosophers. Uh, he quotes Epaminides, a 6th century uh, BC philosopher, and Eratus, a 3rd century BC poet. He, he understands what is going on, and he's able to talk to them in their own language and then point them towards Jesus. It's not always easy to do that. Often life is busy, and we're not thinking, as Paul did, how can I most help other people to see how good Jesus is? Uh, this week I had to nip down to Sainsbury's to get some coffee and milk for the office and a couple of other things, and uh, there was, I found, managed to find a queue where there was only one person in front of me, and she was just about done. But it had one of these uh, strange moments, uh, not wanting to be sexist, no, that's never a good way to start a sentence, not that I don't want to be sexist, <laughs> but I don't know if you've ever noticed, but it seems to be, so with some women, there seems to be an element of surprise when it comes to all the shopping being packed and having to pay that I've noticed a number of times, I think Grace often does this as well, it's like, oh, I've got to pay. Uh, and and, and it's, it takes quite a while to kind of go through the handbag and, and find the purse. And then once the purse is found, it takes quite a while to go through and find the nectar card, the same reason, and then find the payment card. And then to remember, you've got a whole stack of vouchers, and that takes quite a while to sit through as well and work out which ones are Tesco's and which ones are saveers, and which ones are out of date, and which ones can still use and to hand them over. And, and this was going on for quite a while with all woman in front of me and I started looking and thinking, I'm on a schedule here, I've got things to do. And you are taking so long just to pay for a few items in shopping. And uh, of course, as, as the I passed through the till, I actually know I completely missed it here, but she's taking time, she's talking to the guy on the till, she's engaging with him and I'm just in a hurry, desperate to get back and do the things I need to do. So who's, who's, being, who's being more mission friendly here actually it was her and and, and so often life can be like that, that we're just rushing through and and i think the apostle Paul was the kind of guy who would have taken his time out of the till and St. Bruce. would have taken his time to find his card and to pay because he'd been looking for ways to connect with the person at the till and get to know them express love to them and find a way to connect with them and show them towards jesus when Paul spoke, though, he received a whole range of responses. Some people were very happy about what he said and wanted to hear more. Some people believed him straight away. Others <coughs> mocked him. And uh, I've certainly experienced all those responses as well, and we need to be ready for those responses. When we, when we talk about Jesus there's a range of responses, the reality is that when we we If we talk to people about Jesus who don't know Jesus, there's there's always a gear crunch. We can spend ages waiting for the right moment to talk to people about Jesus, but it's, it's almost never comfortable. Because we're suddenly shifting the conversation from earthly things to spiritual things. And that is a crunching gear shift. It always is. And we need to expect this range of responses. Sometimes people will say, I'd really like to know more. Sometimes people will just say, you're mad. Other times people might say, Yeah, I really think this could be true, and we'll respond. We need to be ready for that range of responses. The reality is that everybody at Root has the same kinds of needs. On a Thursday evening, Nathaniel and myself, to to stand were at a, at a business dinner in Bournemouth, and somehow ended up on a main list for some entrepreneurs thing, and uh, there is a, a uh, dinner going on with, with uh, Oliver Letwin the uh, former cabinet minister speaking we thought it might be interesting to go and see what he's got to say and meet some business guys in the town and it was really interesting going into that kind of setting because obviously I'm not in business I lead a church and, uh, and the guys at my table were actually all a little bit more high powered and I thought they would be at that kind of thing they were all uh, running quite substantial multi 1000000000 pound businesses and you sit at the table and you talk to somebody and what are you doing and what are you doing I'm part of a church and there's that moment they were why are you here? and I thought it was a good question why am I here? and so we said well we're here because we're interested in what happens in the town and we, we, we'd like to know what, what's going on in terms of business and interested hear in what Oliver Letwin's got to say and, and uh, we we'll started to talk about the church people were very interested about this building and the process of, of buying this last year and how did you raise some money and those kind of questions but one, the interesting thing really was that what came out? One of the things that came through strongly that evening how, is how people are looking for reassurance. People are looking for reassurance, and and really the, the gist of all of talk was: don't worry as much as everybody's worrying. Most things will turn out okay. And uh, even the high-powered business guys with multi-million-pound businesses, they seem just need just need to know that hard assurance: are things going to be okay? Will someone look after me? all things work out. And now it's fascinating to observe in a room of high-powered people, highly competent, highly ambitious, high achievers. And really that's the need of every human heart. And even if people reject the message of Jesus, even if people at times say they're time mad, even if the people mock, what we have is this message of hope. We have this message of, of great eternal reassurance as a God in heaven who loves us as a God who is warm towards us, as a God who cares about us, the gospel is true. And so, those of us who know Jesus need to have a confidence. We need to look for ways to connect with people, to express the love of Jesus to them. Because really everybody's looking for that. They're looking for that heart connection with something bigger and stronger than themselves. Last thing to say is that we really then need mission as a kind of atmosphere of The church. There's a quote coming up from General Montgomery. In 1942, the Germans under the great General Rommel were dominating North Africa and Churchill put Montgomery in charge and Montgomery gathered his officers together and said this, I believe that one of the first duties of the commander is to create what I call atmosphere and in that atmosphere his staff and troops will live and work and fight. I do not like the general atmosphere I find here. It is an atmosphere of doubt, of looking back to select the next place which to withdraw to, of loss of confidence in our ability to defeat Rommel, of desperate defence measures and preparing positions in Cairo and the Delta. All that must cease. Let us have a new atmosphere. The defence of Egypt lies here at Alamein. Here we stand and fight. There will be no further withdrawal. I have ordered that all plans and instructions dealing with further withdrawal, are to be burnt and at once. We will stand and fight here. If we can't stay here alive, then let us stay here dead. Our mandate from the Prime Minister is to destroy the Axis forces in North Africa. I have seen it, written half a sheet of note paper, and it will be done. If anyone here thinks it can't be done, let him go at once. I don't want any doubters in this party. It can be done. And it will be done beyond any possibility of doubt. It's a rousing speech that makes me want to go and run along the beach and pretend that the Germans are coming in their tanks in the sand. There needs to be a different kind of atmosphere. And uh, just that kind of the decisions that Montgomery made, the different atmosphere that was created did result in the reversal of the fortunes of the war in North Africa and Rommel being defeated by the allied troops. Now, God's mission will be done. God's mission is that all the peoples of the earth, every tribe and tongue and nation, get to hear about Jesus, and that from every tribe and tongue and nation, people respond to him and come into relationship with him. That's God's mission. God's mission is that the world should not just be left to fumble along in its own sweet way, but know that he is going to restore all that is broken He's going to fix the mess that humans have made. He's able to fix the brokenness of our own hearts. And he's able to fix the brokenness of the human race as a whole. He will do it. And that needs to be our atmosphere as a church. What are we about? Who are we? We're the people of God who have been called on a mission to make Jesus known. It can be done. It will be done. It must be done. That needs to be the atmosphere that we have. The attitude that we share together. Let's have that as our atmosphere this year, that we're people called on a mission together to make the good news of Christ Jesus tonight. Amen. Amen.